I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jamie, host of Murderish, a true crime podcast that provides a 3D look at gripping murder cases from beginning to end. You'll get to know the victims and perpetrators, how their worlds collided, and what went down during trial. I also share some of my own personal experiences, like the time a stranger came into my bedroom at night. Yeah, that really happened. And I walk you through all the details of that terrifying night. Have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall during a murder trial? You'll get that opportunity on Murderish, as I share my experience being a jury foreman on a first-degree murder trial. Search Murderish in your favorite podcatcher app, hit subscribe, and start binging. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer, it just means you're murder-ish. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. In 1993, after years of alleged physical and sexual abuse, Lorena Bobbitt cut off her husband John's penis with a knife while he was sleeping in bed. The case made international news and tabloid headlines, a story so scandalous it became the inspiration for many SNL skits and late-night monologues. After making it through the trial and the ensuing media circus, Lorena was found not guilty due to temporary insanity. Today, Lorena is a staunch advocate for survivors of domestic violence and served as an executive producer and a narrator for the soon-to-be-released Lifetime film, I Was Lorena Bobbitt. This is Episode 17, The Lorena Bobbitt Gallo Interview. Megan. Hi, Amy. How are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good as can be, which is great. I'm excited because today we have a special show for our listeners. Recently, we were contacted with an opportunity to interview Lorena Bobbitt Gallo. You know who Lorena Bobbitt is, don't you, Megan? I certainly do. And I share your enthusiasm. Today is not our typical story format, but we really felt like the themes touched on in this case fit so well with what we're trying to do with women in crime. Showing crime through the gender lens and showing victims and offenders that we just really couldn't pass up this opportunity. Today, we have three interviews to share with you. 
The first two are with the lead actors, Luke Humphrey and Danny Montalvo from the new Lifetime film, I Was Lorena Bobbitt, which was actually produced by Lorena. And then we will also get to hear from Lorena herself. For those of us old enough to remember, such as me and you, Megan, this was an unforgettable case. For some of our younger audience members, we wanted to give you a brief overview before we get to the interviews. Lorena was born in Ecuador in 1969, and she grew up in Venezuela and had two younger siblings. At the age of 18, she obtained a student visa and moved to Virginia to attend community college. To earn money, she worked as a nanny, and she also took a later position at a nail salon. Shortly after moving to Virginia, she met John Bobbitt, then a U.S. Marine, at a club for enlisted men, and they began dating shortly after. The pair were married on June 18, 1989, when Lorena was 20 and John was 22. According to Lorena, John became violent just a few weeks after the wedding, and the violence continued from that point on. And Lorena did call the police on multiple occasions. And in February 1991, John pled guilty to assault and battery, though the charges were later dismissed after he went through counseling. Lorena's testimony was that in the early hours of June 23, 1993, John came home drunk and raped her. After the attack, while John was passed out in their bed, Lorena went to get a cup of water and she spotted a knife when she went to the kitchen. She picked up the knife and she returned to the bedroom and she cut John's penis off. Still holding the knife and the severed organ, Lorena then drove away from their apartment building and tossed the penis out of the moving vehicle into a field before driving to a friend's house. Lorena did contact the police and she told them where she had thrown the penis. The police located it, and reattachment surgery was a success. Meanwhile, Lorena had a rape kit examination in the very same hospital that John was being treated in. Well, that's where the trial comes in. And in this case, there were two trials. In November 1993, John went on trial for marital sexual assault. Though Lorena had actually accused him of rape, at the time, Virginia law required couples to be living separately or for serious physical injuries to occur for a charge of marital rape. Amy and I could probably spend an episode on our feelings about the um, earlier definitions of that, but for now, we'll just say that the jury found John not guilty. And then in January 1994, Lorena's trial began. I also want to say she did not accept a plea, although she was offered a nice plea because she really wanted her day in court and she wanted to tell her story. She ended up being charged with malicious wounding, and this put her at risk for up to 20 years behind bars, and facing possible deportation from the United States. Now, during Lorena's trial, John testified that he had never committed any act of violence against her. However, other witnesses and police reports corroborated that Lorena had appeared with bruises and stated that John had been seen hitting and shoving his wife. On January 21, 1994, Lorena was found not guilty due to temporary insanity, meaning that she would not have to spend time in prison for wounding John. However, following the acquittal, she was sent to a hospital for a 45-day psych evaluation, and this was required by Virginia state law. After that, she was released. Lorena has since become a firm advocate for domestic violence. With the Lorena Gallo Foundation, founded in 2008, Lorena created an organization to help victims of domestic violence and their children and to raise awareness of the issue. In this case, I think we could probably go on and on talking about it. And we really just glossed over it because we do want to get to the interviews because always being able to hear firsthand from someone is always you know, more valuable than us speculating. Before we speak to Lorena, we had a conversation with Luke Humphrey, who played John Bobbitt, and Danny Montalvo, who played Lorena Bobbitt. And their insight was particularly relevant to the issues in this film of domestic violence and the fact that this is not a black and white issue and how this looks on both sides of victim and victimizer. So some of their insights were really helpful in understanding this case a little bit deeper. I also think it's interesting to hear from actors who have to portray both victims and offenders and how they feel about that and how that plays into the public's perception of those who are both victimized and those who victimize people. So without further ado, we'll get into our conversation with Luke and then Danny. Hi, Luke. Hey. How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. 
I am so excited to be on. Uh, I just started listening to your show and am absolutely hooked. So um, big fan. So very excited to be chatting with you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Wow. All right. Appreciate it. So starting here, you're playing the role of John Bobbitt. And John Bobbitt is portrayed as a violent and abusive victimizer of his wife in this movie. Mm-hmm. How do you prepare to play this type of role? Uh, well, this is interesting. I mean, like normally I'm playing fictional characters. So this where especially where this is a, a story that was so uh, much part of like the cultural conversation, there's so much to draw upon. But what I found interesting as far as doing research was the script that we had, the story we were telling was the story that happened before the camera showed up before. So when John is presenting himself, you know, in all the footage I was able to look at, he's presenting himself, he's wearing a mask. Right. He's, he's showing the world a part of himself that he wants to be seen as. So the job for me was to go, OK, like taking the script, taking the story that we had, going through the court documents, you know, reading through the transcripts and gathering all the information and trying to draw a picture of someone and try to you know, find the man behind the mask. And that for me was the most challenging thing. And, you know, because you go through and there's, you know, we had I had a moment talking with Lorena and she wanted to let me know that at the beginning there was love, you know, and it's something for me playing an abuser like that. It's important to honor the victim, you know, and if I play someone who's two dimensional, if I make it someone who's, you know, snidely whiplash, twirling their mustache evil, it discredits the people who have been taken advantage by people like that. And so in the beginning, when there's the blossoming of a romance that you can understand why he's someone who someone could fall in love with. You understand how these, how the abuse escalates and how he entraps her by undermining different aspects of her, you know, her, her intelligence, her abilities, you know, he, he creates a world where she is dependent upon him and then, you know, things escalate. So finding that mentality and finding the, the incremental steps towards where it went to, that was a lot of the challenge. I mean, I find acting is, is a wonderful tool. I mean, outside of just like performance and, and entertainment, it's, uh, it's a way of stepping into somebody's shoes, you know, and especially when you're looking at situations when you have crime or, or something heinous with, 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 with high stakes, it's so easy to jump to, you know, painting them in, in you know, black and white. And I find the actor's job is to step into that and understand their worldview. I mean, very few people are walking around making decisions that go, yes, I'm a horrible person. I will do this horrible thing. People have emotional connections and emotional impulses and intellectually justify themselves to themselves. So you have to find out what that worldview is and what, like, so frequently in this, in this script, in this story, I had to go through and be, this is the scene that the audience is watching, but this isn't the scene that I'm in. This may look like a man who's raging out of control and abusing his spouse. But for me, I'm just, you know, for John in that moment, it was correcting somebody. It was, I didn't want to go this far and you pushed me there. It was, I had to completely take myself out and see a whole other way into a scene. Great insight. And I even heard some criminologist statements in there too. So thanks for that. (laughs) I appreciated that. So when considering a role like this, did you think about the fact that John is the, you know, he is the bad guy, um, even if it's not black and white and that, you know, that would be very alienating to female watchers or females in general? Yeah. uh, I mean, just to be really honest with you right now, I'm very apprehensive uh, for this to come out. I wouldn't be surprised if I receive some unpleasant uh, feedback from from audience members but honestly like i take a look at the world right now and i look at myself in it and i have the opportunity to tell stories and particularly to embody roles like this because i think exploring these kinds of people and the effect they have on society is really important and if that's my cross to bear in this situation then i think it's important enough to kind of push myself through that to get these stories told in a way that I think is important. Did the women in your life have any opinion, I wonder, about you taking on this role? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm married and I'm, I'm in a very happy relationship. My my wife and I are, you know, we're very much in love and kind of giggly. And I'm, I'm not, 
I'm so far from the person that I portray. It's, um, it's a challenging role to step into. So, I mean, I was shooting in, in Canada, my wife was in Los Angeles. And, you know, one of the challenges of that is coming back, you know, you're in, you're on set 12 hours a day and frequently you're, you're in this world, you're cre- you know, you're shooting violent scene after violent scene and it's going from emotional abuse to physical abuse to sexual abuse all in a day's span and just living in this world. And then I remember one day coming home and just feeling like a monster and like, having my wife to 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 talk me back to to remind me that you know when i touch someone it's not damaging when i when i you know use my voice on someone it's not to belittle or undermine just to 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 bring me back and remind me of myself and remind me that you know i'm not who i was betraying because it's psychologically challenging to live in that space for you know, when you're filming day after day after day for hours, you know, it's 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 hard. It's important to pull yourself out. Certainly, I've read about a lot of actors and actresses who assume that role and they stay in it the whole time. So I think I understand what you're referring to, even if I haven't experienced it. Yeah, well, I, I had Danishka, our director, was, was phenomenal. And, you know, she created an amazing crew of people. It was predominantly a female department heads. And so there was a lot of incredible women on set. And when I talked to her before I stepped into the role, was before I got the part, was, you know, I don't want to do this unless we're creating a space where this work can be held with respect. Because I'm not going, I'm not turning into this guy and taking this home with me because that's going to damage me and people around me. I need to create a space where I can do this work, do the work, leave it at the door and go home and feel like myself again. And she really created that space. You know, the intimacy coordinators, stunt coordinators, the whole team came together and respected the fact that this was a true story we were telling. What we were portraying actually happened to this woman. And if we don't respect that with reverence, then we're doing a disservice to the reality of what this is for so many women in, you know, in society. Did you take some, because you said you were apprehensive uh, mm-hmm. about this coming out, and I kind of expected that. Did you take some time to really think about whether you wanted to play this role? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I come from the theater, so I, I'm used to playing like young romantic leads and all these kinds of things. But as an artist, as an actor, these are the kinds of roles that I want to explore. These, this is what I want to engage with in society um, as a storyteller. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how this is going to affect people who watch this. But I believe how it was handled and what we're handling is important enough that as may this as may has been a challenge and scary for me to step into this, it's going to be worth it for the people that it can you know provide to share a story with who can re- who can recognize recognize themselves in it and hopefully you know reach out and seek help and get out of dangerous situations. You know when when you're filming it, it's it's all encompassing. You're working very long hours. You're working very it's very intense on set. You know, and uh, thankfully the, the, the crew and, and uh, Danny, who, who played Lorena, was, was fantastic. I had a lot of a great rapport with her and a lot of trust was there, which was so important. But I had this moment when I, when I met Lorena for the first time. We had been filming for a little while and I didn't know I was going to be meeting her when I, when I was. And we had just finished filming uh, about half a week of some, some of the most violent acts that take place in the film. And then I go in and I, I, I meet her, we greet each other and I gave her a hug. And I, I felt her and she's not a big woman. You know, she's a, she's a small, uh, delicate woman. And I'm not a huge dude, but you know, I'm, I was about the same size as, I'm the same size as John was and holding her in my arms like that. It just, I got, I was hit by that use of force against that woman and what she, like it just struck me that she physically went through those horrors and lived through this story. And not just in little segments that we get to pick in and jump in and out of in these scenes, but that was her day-to-day life. That was a real fear that she lived with. And to hold her in my arms like that, it just, it just struck me. And if this story can get out and, you know, affect one person to reach out and call for help, then this, this whole thing is worth it. That's great. Um, and I'm sure it will, to be honest. Did you know much, uh, just out of curiosity, Luke, about the Bobbitt case prior to uh, starring in this film? Uh, yeah, I mean, this was a story that we used to sing about on the playground. I mean, this was k- kind of, you know, like the cultural joke of it 
had, you know, I remember like everybody's parents were listening to it on the radio as we were going to school and stuff like that. So this is, this was a, a very culturally rich story that we had all interpreted through the lens at the time, right? Which was this big punchline, this big crazy woman cut off a man's penis. Like everybody was laughing and kind of titillated and had these weird nervous feelings about it. And, you know, even to this day, when I tell people I have this role, all I get are dick jokes, you know, and it's so, in, in, and that excites me because it, it shows me that the cultural lens needs to shift. And that story was viewed through such a specific interpretation of events. And I'm really hoping that the time between then and now has allowed us to shift our understanding towards compassion and towards the reality of what led to that event. So it's not a punchline. Did John, did you uh, make any efforts to reach out to John or John to you during this process? <laughs> uh, I, I watched a lot of tape. I, um, you know, I, I watched everything I could find. I read everything I could find. I mean, he's a very challenged, broken man. And I think there's some really um, important things that happened to him that shaped him that are not being discussed not to justify him, but just to understand where he was coming from. And then for me, again, it was, I wanted, I was more interested in how she saw John than how the world saw John. Right. I wanted to, to show people how Lorena would see this man who was charming, who had moments of, of flirtation and, and moments of love. Uh, had, and early on had, had moments of optimism and, and potential you know, and then you watch that pervert, you watch that disintegrate and, you know, turn into what it became. But look, you brought up a good point, something we talk about in uh, our classes all the time, even mm -hmm. is the fact that even if we're explaining someone's behavior, trying to look at the causes of it, we're not mm -hmm. excusing it. When I teach theories of crime, we don't say, oh, because we figured out why someone did it, that it's totally okay. So we're not, it's not, you know, there's a line between excusing and trying to at least examine the root causes of someone's behavior. And I also think there are background factors in John's life that do help explain his behavior more so and don't excuse it. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think that's a really important line to draw, but also it's in a really important place to go. I can't just go, I'm angry. I'm going to smash, you know, the wall. I, there, there is, there is patterned behavior. There is impulses that are, there's a worldview that's ingrained in that person and, you know, that affects how they respond to stimulus, how they respond to circumstance. And you have to explore that. You have to dive into that if you want to serve the story or understand the motive for anybody. And I think acting is a, is a great tool for, for exploring those things. I think so too. What do you think John Bobbitt will think about your performance or your portrayal? <laughs> Honestly, I, mean, <laughs> I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> I'm actually kind of nervous. Um, <laughs> I, you know what, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he can like me, he, he can hate me. It's, it's not about him. Uh, it's, it's about her story, serving that, and it's for finding the audiences who need this story and who this can be um, important to. Also for the people who aren't in that situation, but if it can help them add to the conversation they have about domestic violence, it can help them recognize and question the way they've been told stories you know, and who's telling them and what they're, the people who are telling them certain stories, what their understanding of the world is. If that could open that up a little bit, that would be, that's fantastic. If John gets angry, John gets angry. That's fine. Well, making waves is sometimes a good thing too. Can you share with us any of your next projects? Yeah. Um, I have some, you know, work that I'm doing. I mean, my wife and I have a production company, so we make stuff together and we've been really you know, exploring, we have some projects coming up for when this, you know, we're allowed to get back to work and also been exploring making stuff in this, in this time, in the quarantine time and working how to be creative in these restrictions. Uh, also, I have a project coming out on Netflix. Uh, I don't know when. I'm in a, a series called Tiny Pretty Things, which comes out sometime this year. Well, that's exciting. And everyone's on Netflix these days. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now's a good time for staying at home and watching TV. So Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations on that. Just a final question. I was just curious about, do you have a dream role that you'd like to play? Not right now. You know, I, I go back and forth. There's a couple of stories that I'm very interested in uh, just 
historically and kind of contemporary settings that I'd like to explore uh, both as a storyteller and as an actor. But again, like what this role is, is an example of what I want to be doing. You know, I, I'm a straight white man in this day and age, and there's a lot of important things we need to explore about people who walk around in that body and what they've done in society and how society has allowed or fostered certain behavioral problems that we're reckoning with. And if the one thing I would love to do more than anything is to embody problematic men in story. So this is exactly that kind of role. And if I could do this for the next ever, I think that would be not only satisfying, but important. I think it's great. And we watched it and it's so funny to watch it. I haven't seen it yet. (laughs) (laughs) We got a pre-screening so that we would have these, you know, be able to ask you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, I, I love it. You're so different. You're right. You know, your character and like, you know, (laughs) me and you, you're, you're an entirely different person, but I feel like, you know, most people are going to recognize that you're just playing the role and most people are going to see that this is clearly um, from Lorena's point of view. And yeah, I, I, I think that's what's important. I like that she narrated too, that she was in there. I thought that yeah. was great. Yeah, honestly, I, I have the uh, the early screener thing. I've just been too nervous to watch it. I just Really? Oh, you're it's waiting weird, for man. it. You live in a story for so long. It's like so like how you do it. And like and then to kind of take a step back, I just I think I just need a bit more time. I'll, I'll watch it on like I'll watch it with everybody else on that. I was going to say, well, you're going to have to watch it in a couple of days from now, but that'll be yeah. fun. I'm glad you can celebrate with your wife and your friends. And that's great. Um We've already watched and uh, pulled the Band-Aid, but no, it was great. Thank you so much. Like, really appreciate it. And genuinely love the podcast. Uh, Thank you. When I I heard about you guys in the interview, I was like, oh, I got to check you out. And I've been listening to you every day. So uh, thank you. You're going to hear yourself on there soon, too. It's uh, it's been nice to have something both like stimulating politically, like, I mean, like socially relevant, but also not the news. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm done with the news. I can't do the news anymore. It was just making me crazy, though. So I was like, you know, we're just going to stop that now. All right. Well, um, thank you so, so much again for your time. Congratulations. Good luck on Monday. I hope you enjoy the moment your success and have fun with thank it. You. For our listeners, you can check him out on I Was Lorena Bobbitt, which premieres on Monday, May 25th on Lifetime. <laughs> Danny, you're playing Lorena Bobbitt in the new Lifetime film, I Was Lorena Bobbitt. Mm-hmm. And Lorena is portrayed as a woman who is severely victimized at the hand of her husband in this movie. So how do you prepare to play this type of role? I definitely started off with watching what was available to me. And that was the Amazon documentary. Uh, all of the footage and media coverage from the media from back in the day. and. I used the the trial that was televised. And then, of course, I had Lorena herself, who was able to talk to me and, and walk me through anything I needed. And then the accent. That was one of the most difficult things to prepare, uh, just because I didn't want it to interfere w- with the performance in any way. Um, so I made sure to try and work on that as much as I can so that I can kind of just throw it out the window when it came time to perform. Yeah, there, there were a lot of challenges uh, going through all the different scenes and a majority of them I spent either crying or being abused or, you know, being physically abused. So it was a very big challenge and learning experience, though. Would you say, because that's one of the questions I have, mm-hmm. uh, is what was, you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge? Would you say it was the intense emotional state that you were in or mm-hmm. what was it for you? Yeah, one scene that specifically comes comes to mind is where it starts off physically violent and then it goes into being sexually violent. And that we did that we did several takes of that just to get them from different angles. And by the time we were done, I felt such pure rage, you know, just because I felt the anger. I felt so much anger for what he did to Lorena. You know, I felt so much anger at John Bobbitt and I went back to my trailer and I just remember wanting to punch something and just remember to let all these emotions flow through me, not to try and squish them down or repress them, just let it all come out and then get ready for work the next day. You know, we had the components of it being choreographed. So we had to remember, you know, there needs to be technique in there. We safety is always number one. 
And then once we were able to work on that and have that down pat, that's when we can bring the emotions to it, all the performance pieces. And that's where it got heavy, uh, you know, because you, even though the director yells cut, you want to stay in the scene so that you can go right back into it. And that's what I personally chose to do. So just so that I wouldn't have to get in and out of this headspace, you know, but Luke made it very easy for me to feel safe, to feel in a safe environment so that I can go all out. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And obviously the exact opposite of what Lorena went through in real life. Exactly. So, so I asked Luke about this yesterday um, when considering this role, did he worry about the perceptions of John Bobbitt as, you know, being a villainous guy? Mm -hmm. So I wonder did you worry at all about the opposite perception that Lorena was perceived as a villain to some men at the time? Mm-hmm. Did this ever enter your mind? Oh, yeah, definitely. I definitely saw, you know, that split between women and men. All majority of women were supporting for her and rooting for her and saying, that's exactly what I would have done. And then for the men, it was worst nightmare come true. So I did recognize that split and I did see how Lorena was made to be this villain to men but at no point did I ever feel like apprehensive to take on the role because of that as a matter of fact I felt like it was an obligation to the women who supported her and who rooted for her to show that you know she does have a voice and she's going to use it. Did you know much about the Lorena Bobbitt and John Bobbitt case or trial before tackling this role? I had absolutely no idea who Lorena was who John was I hadn't heard any of the jokes, which is amazing because they were everywhere. I didn't hear about the incident itself. I had never heard of a woman cutting off her husband's penis. I was living under a rock, clearly. So when I did get the audition, I Googled her name and then everything just came flooding in. And I was like, wow, this is a story that just rocked the headlines back in the day because I was born five days after it happened. So you know, growing up, it it had already, it already left the headlines almost, you know, but still I had never heard of Lorena Bobbitt. So to now, you know, 26 years later, that's how old I am for her to tell her story and for me to be a part of that. It's so surreal. (laughs) Wow. You must've been really overwhelmed with all the research and all the footage. If you didn't know a thing about it, that this is really a truly huge engrossing case. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, I watched hours and hours of it. And I just remember yelling at my TV, you know, yelling at John Bob. It just, it was such a, a a lot of emotions going through it while I was watching all of that because it was all new. I know you talked a little bit about um, spending time with Lorena Mm -hmm. to play, to play Lorena. How involved was she in shaping your portrayal of her? So she, she was on set for a couple of days. She wasn't there for the more, you know, tougher, more graphic um, scenes. But the days that she was there, we were able to talk um, one-on-one about some of the most difficult parts of the reality that she had to go through. But then I personally made the choice to not want to dive into the details of her life just because I I didn't want her to relive that. You know, she's already kind of reliving it. She's already going to watch it. I told her, if you have absolutely any notes, you know, if you have anything that you want me to change, want me to do, you're always watching, you tell me. So I knew that there was that open communication. And I also knew that the whole emotional abuse of the trauma was the toughest part for her. And that really helped with my performance because I knew it wasn't so much about the, the, all the physical stuff and how you know she was bruised and hurting. It was more all, all internal. Danny, do you think that this movie will resonate with people now, given the climate of the Me Too movement? I sure expect it to, and I hope it does, because we are in a different climate right now. Back when Lorena's story was first heard, um, it was a joke. You know, no one took it seriously. No one really knew what was going on. So for today, for people to hear her story with different eyes, through a different lens and a different mindset... I think it's going to, you know, inspire people in the way we hope it to. Do you think we've made progress in the way we deal with these kind of issues of domestic violence with women? I think there has been progress made, but to look back, you know, 30 years ago and it's still kind of like women are still going through the same thing. Women are still in Lorena's shoes today. So it's almost like you feel like there wasn't progress made, but I think there was, you know, like the the Violence Against Women Act, you know, that came into effect after what happened to Lorena. 
But I think now that, right. we, especially with the Me Too era, people are starting to realize that women have this horrible thing in common and we're all coming together and we're coming, you're becoming stronger and people are starting to listen. And I think that's the whole point of this. On an individual level, Danny, has the experience of playing Lorena changed any of your previously held view, views about domestic violence? Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I had done my research on it and I wanted it to stop being just definitions and statistics and, you know, numbers. I wanted it to mean something. And I realized that it happens to so many women, you know, to your, to your sister, to your, to your wife, your daughter, your aunt, you know, they're all around us. And something that um, I was educated on, you know, they always ask, why didn't Lorena leave? Why don't women leave when they're in these abusive relationships? And I realized it's because when they do try to leave, that's the moment where they're in the most amount of danger. And it's so easy for people to say, just leave, just walk out. Um, so to know that and to be able to now educate other people as to why it's so difficult for victims to not leave that trauma, I think, I think for people to know that, I think that's definitely going to change the story on this. Can you also tell us maybe about the rewards or the most rewarding part to you after you finished of playing Lorena Bobbitt? I felt, I felt incredibly empowered to go to do all these scenes and then to come out of it and realize, hey, I wasn't in any danger. I was, um, I was safe the entire time. But then to realize this is a true story that this happens to women every day and men. That it almost humbled me. It almost, you know, something clicked in me where it was like, this isn't just, this isn't just acting. This isn't just a movie. This is a story. This is somebody's reality that that needs to be shared with other people to wake them up and and to re-educate the world about what's going on, especially now with the pandemic. You know, not everyone is safe at home. So I think this is a really important movie. Um, for everyone to watch. There are a lot more people inside. So you're going to see a lot of increases in domestic violence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting an idea now of how you can access help or resources or even just some insight, you're probably right during this time is very relevant. Yeah, absolutely. Was it hard for you to or was it easy for you to close the book on this and move on? Or when you kind of finished, did you still feel like you were in the character of Lorena? I it was easy for me to close the book and move on just because I knew um as soon as, you know, I signed on to the project, I started mentally and emotionally preparing myself um, to be able to go in and out of these, you know, dark places. Um, I made sure that when I went to my trailer, I had a little, almost a little ritual to get myself out of that, that, that space, you know, out of that place to make sure to not take it back home with me or back to the hotel room. You know, we did the last scene. I felt this weight off my shoulders. I felt like I had committed as best as I could and I gave everything I could. And I was really, really happy and proud of, of all my work. But I just felt like I could breathe again and, you know, and, and, and go home and not have to worry about these dark feelings and emotions. I bet that was a relief. In my line of work, I understand exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> So let me ask you now that you have wrapped, um, what is your next project, if you can share with us? Well, as soon as I finished wrapping, everything shut down. So we we literally finished like the day before I got home and then my work shut down, everything. So I haven't been auditioning. Nothing's really been in the works right now. As soon as things start to open, that's when I plan on, you know, hitting the floor and, and you know, running. But currently, in order to stay busy, I'm I'm doing music. I'm a musician, so I play guitar, piano, and the ukulele, and I sing, and I write my own music, so I'm trying to create that kind of content and stay creative. I feel like that's too many talents for one person. It's a little unfair. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I feel like I'm just listing things. Just so you know. <laughs> Thank you so much, Danny. So for everyone who's listening, again, this was Danny Montalvo, and you can catch her on Lifetime on Monday, May 25th, in the premiere of I Was Lorena Bobbitt. Thank you so much, Danny. Thank you so much, Megan. Amy, though, it's not our, our normal thing to interview actors and actresses. I really liked hearing from Danny and Luke. I thought they had some great insights as to how they were approaching this and the transformation that they had to make, but also about their opinions of the issue of domestic violence, the changes that have happened in this country since Lorena's case, 
And the fact that they wanted to take on difficult roles like this that they knew were polarizing, because this case was a polarizing case. And so they both felt like they were going to, you know, they both felt like they had a real important task and a challenge. And they both knew that there were going to be risks to doing so. But I think ultimately, the fact that uh, from both of them, I just heard this issue was just too important to ignore. So I appreciate that. And I thank them both. Yes. Now let's get to Lorena. Although it's been more than 25 years, Lorena is still very much an advocate for survivors of domestic abuse. And as we'll hear, she has done quite a bit of work in this area. And without further ado, here is our interview with Lorena Gallo. Hi, Lorena, are you there? Yes. Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi. Hi, Lorena. How are you? Good. Thank you. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being with us today. Amy and I are actually criminologists and professors who teach and study about the criminal justice system and all aspects of crime. And we created this podcast, Women in Crime, because we wanted to look at the stories of women who have been victims, who have been offenders, who have been both. But we wanted to investigate it more through the gender lens and how you know, being a female shapes the experience much differently than males. So I think that our listeners are going to be very excited about your story, Lorena. So thank you. Thank you. You founded the Lorena Gallo Foundation in 2008. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the foundation and your primary goal in this organization? Absolutely. My purpose of my organization is to raise awareness and prevention of domestic violence and sexual assault through education at scholastic levels and community engagement. Uh, My main goal is to open an emergency shelter in the future and provide immediate assistance such as housing, food, clothing, and a safe environment for people looking to escape abusive relationships. Even now with the COVID-19, my goodness, the pandemic is even worse. Domestic violence is on the rise. And uh, there's also statistics that we have seen in the United States that uh, more ammunition is sold in gun firearms, guns is really on the rise, especially now. We are living a social epidemic of domestic violence in the middle of a health uh, viral coronavirus pandemic. So it's really dangerous. So turning to your own background, um, I know that you were raised in Venezuela by your parents. And I was wondering if you could maybe describe your family dynamic and the relationship between your parents. It was a loving family. I mean, we attended church, Catholic, Roman Catholic, and uh, it was very um, happy. My childhood was very, you know, normal, I should say. I mean, I have siblings, but uh, we were raised, you know, in a, um, a small town and every know each other. And we played on the streets. Um, there was no cell phones. And uh, it was it was an amazing time. It was a very organic, very natural life. Can you tell us then, were you ever exposed to, given what you were just saying, were you ever exposed to any type of cultural violence towards women in your childhood or really prior to your relationship with John? No, not at all. I did hear um, growing up, there's a lot of uh, in South America and uh, all of the Americas coming, me, myself, coming from Latin American countries, um, because I was born in Ecuador and raised in Venezuela. I heard about there's a lot of uh, machism culture and a lot of women are subject to to that. And, and that's unfortunately, but I did grow up, you know, not in that environment, but hear, hearing about there's a lot of problems on cultural like that. And, uh, you know, the patriarchal society and all of that, it's very influenced in, in our society as a Latina. And I basically knew of that, but I never was exposed to that. Understood. Thank you. So some reports say that John may have been a victim of violence in his childhood. Would you be able to describe John's family and what his relationship was like with his parents? That's uh, news to me. Uh, I never heard of of uh, him being never he he never talked about him being abusive as a child and during our marriage. I never met his parents. I mean, he was raised by his aunt and uncle, as far as I know, and I only met them twice. Did you see any signs of John being controlling before he actually became physically violent? 
Not at all. I mean, he was very charming. He was, I never seen the red flags during our dating or courtship. We were dating for um, about nine and a half, 10 months before we got married and he got abused um, right in when the first month when we were still newlyweds. So following along that line, then, um, I know the police were called to your home for domestic incidents. Do you know how many times that happened? I don't recall exactly how many times the police um, came to my home uh, for domestic violence uh, issues that we have. And I did call 911 several times, and that was actually one of my defense in in court. Um, So they did have the record uh, in place based on that. And I think he got arrested the very last time that I called the police because of the record. The police show at at my house and they said, okay, so, you know, you called all the time and uh, they did took a John in um, handcuffs. What happened the other times, uh, Lorena, that you had called the police? What were the outcomes? Unfortunately, the police came, but um, I don't think they were able to know what was going on or how to handle a case of domestic violence. It was very sad to actually reach out for help, but then I know that nothing was going to come on and resolve my problems. So I was kind of reaching out, but at the same time, it was not a very good end result. Every time I called the police, so they come. And plus, I was very intimidated by, by them because, you know, see two men in uniform and I had to show my bruises. I had to show my bra, my my body. It was really, really embarrassing. It's very traumatic after being already traumatized by my husband. John was convicted of assaulting you once from what we understand, but the charges were later dismissed. Did he ever acknowledge his bad behavior or his violence in this incident? Absolutely not. I mean, it was all my fault. He was uh, managed to twist everything around a lot. And remember, I was uh, between 93 and 95 pounds, and he was over um, almost 200 pounds. And uh, the dynamics of abuse was extremely, extremely different. Uh, There's no way I could ever hurt that man. There was no record in court, nothing recorded in any therapy sessions of him taking any sort of acknowledgement? I believe when I called uh, the military police, uh, they had that um, on record maybe, and it was used on my trial that he did sign and he admitted uh, abusing me and hitting me, punching me. Okay, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. And I want to talk about the forthcoming Lifetime movie, I Was Lorena Bobbitt. So in that movie, when the plea deal was offered, it was depicted that you turned it down immediately. Was that the reality? Did you turn it down as quick as it seemed in the movie or did you take a little more time to consider a plea? Oh, absolutely. I wanted to um, I didn't want to uh, take that plea because I wanted to to be so transparent. I wanted to be able to have the, the chance to tell my story. I know his story was already told, but I also wanted to tell the public. I wanted to tell the world what happened to me, what, what I described a monster this person did to me. Um, there was a lot of things that I wanted to express and, and tell basically uh, what really happened. Mm-hmm. The language barrier was a key issue for you getting help. Were there any plans to adapt the Lifetime movie to Spanish? Absolutely. I think it's very important to to translate not only in Spanish, but in many language, because remember, domestic violence is affecting the whole world. It's not only here in the United States, but in Latin America, because like we said, there is a lot of uh, patriarchal society, machismo society. It's really sad. What in, in Europe, my goodness, in Spain, people, there's a lot of uh, uh, women who get killed. This is happening. Every 15 seconds, a woman gets abused here in the United States. Every 15 seconds. It's it's really unbelievable. That is, that is really insane. Lorena, have any previous documentaries or movies gotten anything wrong about your case that you know of? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, there is a there could be a lot of, you know, misinformation, of course. And remember, the media did a great job of portraying me as the crazy, bloody Latina, which was very racial at that time as well. Um, so the media did this 
good job of uh, portraying me. The whole run and stuff, very falso stories. They focus on sensationalistic stories, lurid details, bizarre stories. They were focusing on his uh, me cutting off his penis instead of the core of the whole story, which was domestic violence and sexual assault. This is a woman who, um, this is a story of a woman who have gone through abuse and nobody really talk about it. Nobody really, it seems like a care. They make jokes about it. And uh, that was wrong. Oh, I agree. And I think you were right. I think they missed it completely on the first time. Now, I just have a question about the Lifetime movie. Is there a reason why the prosecution's case wasn't depicted at all in the film? Um, in the movie, um, basically, uh, it was my story. It was uh, focused on, um, uh, on me and John's story. So that's for uh, the movie actually was more directed into the uh, not the prosecution, but my defense. Okay. So, Lorena, let's turn to the criminal proceedings against you in general a little bit. Uh, one of the questions that I always wonder about people who take the stand, so I'll ask you. Uh, because you took the stand in your own defense, is do you regret getting up and testifying in court? Absolutely no. I think that uh, women, uh, it empowers women to actually come to courts and and for them to tell the story. It empowers women to to hear their voices and to to actually uh, understand that we our voices are going to be heard, whether it's in the courtrooms of law, whether it's outside of the law, whether it's in society, or whether it's in social media. There's a lot of uh, stories now and empowerment that women have come and, and, and share the stories on social media, like with the Me Too movement or the Why I Stayed and the Why I Left campaigns. I think it's very empowering for women to know that now it's okay to talk about it and that's one of the reasons I made the movie, to keep the conversations, to keep my storytelling, to empower more victims and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault, to share the story that this is not acceptable. This is an issue, issue that uh, we have to shift this. I believe that you said John used your immigration status against you as a way to control you. Do you think that your citizenship or your nationality played a role or a significant role in the way you were treated in the criminal justice system? I don't think that uh, that actually had a big impact and how um, affected my my role in the justice system. I don't I don't believe that. I've heard women report feeling victimized by the system again. So I'm just wondering, did you feel at all victimized by our legal system? No, I, I don't think that I was victimized by the legal system at all because um, I was, uh, they put a case and uh, it was uh, basically, you know, this is what we got and uh, this is what we're going to, you know, have to find a way. And, and that's how I, I don't feel that that has an impact on me at all and, and against my the justice system. I don't think so. Okay. So you, did you feel a sense of fairness then with the justice system? Yes, I think that the justice system was fair with me, to me. Okay, good. That's, that's good to know. Thank you. Finally, on this one, um, you were found not guilty by reason of temporary insanity. Did spending the court-ordered 45 days in a psychiatric facility following your verdict have any effect on you whatsoever, whether that would be a positive or negative effect? I tell you what, I felt uh, some sense of relief uh, when I went to, uh, you know, to the uh, um, hospital, um, the psychiatric hospital, because I was surrounded by doctors, but at the same time, I didn't know what to expect. And um, I was more sense of relief after the media. I mean, remember, the media uh, played a big deal uh, emotionally, and uh, it was really traumatizing to not to be able to see what's going on. And, and these people are joking and make laugh about it. And there's no this is not a joke on, on, on somebody who get raped. I mean, how can they make, if a child gets raped, you know, they don't joke about it. Then why should they joke about a woman being raped? It's not different. Rape is rape. And so to me, it was a more of a sense of calm after I had to deal with the media when I went to Central State Hospital. Lorena, talking about the media, do you think the media attention hurt or helped you in your case? Um, the media basically um, did whatever it did. I think that um, it hurt 
a lot of people didn't know how to react. And uh, first of all, it was uh, the, for, for the first time, it was uh, televised in the courtroom. So a lot of people have access to to see my trial and know um, what happened and what is that about. But um, uh, the whole country was divided. I mean, uh, men was with with John, women was with uh, me, supporting me. And, uh, you know, some men also were supportive of, of me as well. But um, it was a complete, um, it, it was a sense of um, um, div- division in the country. So it kind of played its own role. So being that John was so abusive to you, why do you think that he had so much public support? Um, again, because I think that for the whole nature of his own you know, case, that um, his penis was cut off. And that's one of the part that, you know, it, it was uh, the whole thing was that uh, uh, was just basically. And I also remember Howard Storm was there and he helped to promote John and uh, he was a popular radio personality, as you said, but, um, you know, that happened, uh, as well. And, in the whole, like I said, because of people just feel that it was more sensitive for what they act instead of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Do you think the outcome of John's case would have been any different if your trial had been first? I don't think so because he was charged with marital rape and not domestic violence. I do wish that, um, on his trial, the judge uh, would have included of the prosecution um, uh, would have included domestic violence, um, but that was not the case, unfortunately. Uh, lastly, on the media, and you may have answered this to some degree, but what is one of the biggest exaggerations or falsehoods the media reported about your case or about you, Lorena? The media missed that window of opportunity to talk about domestic violence and talk a lot of things. And that is that itself is a falsehood because um, they concentrated more, again, in, in his um, male, you know, uh, masculinity, or uh, I guess I should say, I'm just going to go ahead, his penis, you know, then that was it right. instead of domestic violence and sexual assault. And uh, I think that's... Uh, does a falsehood, and they reported uh, sensationalistic stories and lurid details. One of the things I'm wondering is, did any of your family or friends abandon relationships with you after your arrest or after your trial? No, actually, they were very, very supportive of me. They were, um, you know, family was always there. My friends was always there. My community was actually, you know, there for me and uh, my job. And everybody was, you know, very, very supportive. That's nice. I'm sure you were very uh, grateful for the support at the time. Yeah, absolutely. You had a former employer and friend, Jenna Bizzuti, and she seemed to support you in various ways, both before and after your arrest. And we see her depicted in the movie as well. Uh, what changed that led to the end of your friendship with, with her? Friendship never ended. I think that she was very busy. She's a, a She's a businesswoman, and uh, or she was a businesswoman, and uh, she couldn't handle everything. She she was trying to be my agent, or she 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 wasn't an attorney. She wasn't a manager. She at the same time she tried to raise a family and run a business. So she has too much on her plate that it really got too much. And uh, unfortunately, you know, just you know, sometimes uh, people just get caught up on those things, and you know, you live your life, and uh, life goes on. Understood. Thank you. In 2009, you appeared together on the show The Insider with John. So on the show, John apologized to you for the way he treated you during your marriage. Do you feel like that apology was sincere? Absolutely not. There's no sincere on his apology. Other than that media appearance, have you had any contact with John since your trial? Not at all. Um, I know that he tried to contact me uh, through my um, foundation, my organization, which is Lorena Gallo Foundation, and it's public, it's a public organization, so he tried to pop up here and there uh, or send me emails and stuff. That's something I can't avoid because I can't close my organization and it's public. Um, So, but uh, yeah, he used to send people, he used to send um, not only people, but notes and handwritten notes to me before. What was the nature of those notes? Was it asking for forgiveness or apology? I don't really know uh, why he did that. I mean, remember, domestic violence is based on control. 
And basically, he doesn't let go of. I mean, I don't know if this man, you know, he needs help. What can I say? Do you find yourself more intuitive now about people who are violent or abusive? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I've uh, learned to, you know, see the uh, red flags. Yes, absolutely. And also, I know that domestic violence does not discriminate as well. So it can happen to any of us. Lorena, do you see significant changes now in how we treat the issue of domestic violence since your trial so long ago? Yes, it's um, almost 30 years. There was no VAWA of the Violence Against Women's Act. Um, There was no hotline. Uh, 30 years have passed. Uh, we have seen changes and those, those, the hotlines exist now. Um, there's a lot of protective orders that, you know, they have actually protect women and men. There's a lot of um, uh, training for the police or how to handle cases of domestic violence. A lot of things have changed. We actually, you know, going into step of the right direction uh, in terms of, yes, we have seen a lot of changes on how the victims are treated. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot more, there's more much more to do. There's a lot of work to be done to protect women, to protect victims of domestic violence and sexual assault. Just as a follow up to that, I'm just wondering, is there anything you think we're not doing well or we're not doing yet? There's a lot of gaps that need to be closed. Like, for example, uh, firearms, you know, how can a person still own a firearm after um, he's being caught with uh, or or being sent to jail after a domestic violence. You know, a lot of our terrorists, you know, uh, or gun uh, shootings um, have, not everyone though, but a lot of them has a domestic violence uh, background in themselves and it's mental health. So there's a, there's a big gap there we need to close. You know, that's just one of them of many. I would agree. Thank you for that. Lorena, what advice would you give to someone who might be in your situation who did not see the signs of violence early on and didn't see that really until later in the relationship when maybe it was, you know, too late? When I made this movie, I wanted to actually project not only uh, for people to see the dynamics of how domestic violence are. I wanted to, you know, they can see how vulnerable um, a victim of domestic violence is and how brutally uh, cruel and and vicious, um, aggressive the perpetrators can be. But also I want them to know that there's a connection. It's got to be a connection somewhere when they see a movie like this in real life. This is happening. Um, there is there are resources. I want them to empower themselves by education. They're um, with the tips of our fingers. We can actually use the Internet and use those resources, empowering yourself, by educating this yourself. And I also want them to know when to let them know that if you're in an abusive situation, you never should stay isolated, always contact people always contact a friend, family, stay, especially now that there's uh, COVID-19, the uh, abusers use isolation a lot to to hold you down. But, you know, you can still go and um, call somebody, be connected. And also, I want to tell you that silence is not an option. It's, you know, it's never an option for me. Or it should never be uh, an option for you. Resilience, be resilient, believe in yourself. There's hope. And there's a lot of things, uh, people who are understand your situation, you are not alone. Thank you for that, Lorena. Much appreciated. So you have a foundation, you have done documentary and a movie. Um, Are there any future projects right now that you're working on? Yes, absolutely. Like I said, my main goal is to open up an emergency shelter in the near uh, future to help uh, victims of domestic violence and sexual assault to escape abuse. That's wonderful. And 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 like I said, I am a um, I'm a speaker. I do a lot of speeches in colleges and universities and uh, in my community. So it's um, it's wonderful. I, I work all the time in my foundation. That is wonderful. And speaking of your foundation, can you remind our listeners where they can find your foundation if they're interested? Sure. It's uh, LorenaGalloFoundation.org, or you can actually see it on uh, my Facebook, Lorena Gallo Foundation. Congratulations on the movie. We watched it. I love that you are part of it. I love that you narrated part of it. I thought it added something so unique to it, and I thought it really made it I was really able to understand and identify because you were in there. Um, So thank you very much. And thank you for sharing with us. Uh, Really appreciate it. And we really wish you luck. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Lorena. 
for our listeners, you can check out the movie I Was Lorena Bobbitt on Monday, May 25th on Lifetime. I really enjoyed speaking to Lorena, and it's very rare that you get to talk to somebody who you see portrayed in a certain way in the media. I don't know about you, Megan, but when this case was in the media, I really, I went along with the narrative that the media was putting out there. She was, you know, scorned woman, and they really didn't talk much about the fact that she was a victim herself. They didn't, they didn't talk about the fact that she was a victim. Actually, as she said, the most hurtful thing was the way they made of this situation. And I think one of the takeaways here is, you know, the difference between then and now. Lorena would have been treated a lot differently. And our system, as she said, we've made some serious progress. Yes, we still have further to go, but I think Lorena is certainly part of that, you know, the help or the movement to progress us and get us forward. And I always found it interesting how they both had supporters. And I often wondered, was it the nature of the crime that a lot of males were supporting John Bobbitt? Because you think of what's the sign of masculinity, right? The male organ. And having a woman cut a male's, you know, castrate a man was, I think, very, like we said, very polarizing. But I think it, I often wonder if she had cut off his arm or his hand, what would have How different would this case have been? I think that's a great point, Amy. And I have to agree with you. I think that it would have been a whole different conversation. But you know what? Good for Lorena for having this conversation now and keeping it going. And she's going to be, you know, part of a movement to progress us forward as a society. So we thank you so much, Lorena. We really appreciated speaking with you. Thank you, Lorena. Again, if you are interested in supporting Lorena's foundation or to even just learn more about the movement, please check out Lorena Gallo Foundation on Facebook. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Our music is composed by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, you can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.